and your pal ouch welcome to what you've been watching the show easier to make because watching stuff oh that is so nice uh but the only difficult thing about making the show is this riff of the introduction that you're listening to right now i never have a plan i don't know where to go and i always kind of struggle with it and i'm just looking at a timer going okay let's get to a minute let's go but in case you don't know, today's show, we got a specific set of movies, martial arts themed movies. In case you didn't know, I am myself am a martial artist, uh, specifically striking, kickboxing, Thai style, whatever you want to call it. That is where my uh, expertise is. I've been doing that going on eight years now. So I wanted to take a look at some Martial arts movies that kind of do things right, kind of not. They were a huge genre, especially in the 80s, where, like, apparently it was not as mysterious as, like, the ads in the back of the comics made them out to be. It's just like, no, you can just go to this gym and kind of learn it. Nothing specifically kickboxing related, but striking is striking, you know. You know, don't get me wrong, I'm not looking to fight or anything like that, but I know how to punch and kick people. Correctly, by the way. So, that is on the docket. Three great movies. Miami Connection, two and a half great movies, Honor and Glory, and then No Retreat, No Surrender. Hope you like today's episode, but for now, let's get to what I've been watching. Oh man, this is one of those movies that's slowly becoming my comfort place. Just one of those things where you watch it over and over again, just because you know you don't want to put in the effort to focus on anything new. But this movie is just one of those perfectly balanced karmic yin-yang, as it's so light-hearted and pure, but can also be really dark and almost gruesome. So let's talk about Miami Connection. Miami Connection from 1987, starring Y.K. Kim, Vincent Hirsch, and Joseph Diamond, written and directed by Y.K. Kim and Richard Park, aka Wu Sang Park. This certainly was Kim's baby, as he spent a ton of money distributing the film, wrote and directed brand new scenes after Park went back to South Korea, most of the actors were students of Kim's through his Taekwondo studios, and apparently he was so popular, Kim could film absolutely anywhere without a permit. However, the film was an initial failure, with low box office figures and scathing reviews. The film itself was almost lost to time twice. It was sold on eBay as a 35mm print long after it was forgotten, and then again in 2004 when Hurricane Charlie destroyed the original negative. Thankfully, it was put back together, so the fantastic 80s-ness of all the things can live on. It's hard to bury the lead, so the movie starts off with a group of motorcycle-riding ninjas interrupting a drug deal, killing everyone and stealing all the drugs and money. It's basically the most awesome opening scene ever. 
These schlubby middle manager types and low-grade Havana gangsters all have many Uzis, yet they can barely get a shot off of it on any of the ninja, and just all get decimated. So you're basically setting up that the ninja are super being that can't be hurt by standard human measures. Except I can't even tell a single reason why that's true. I didn't see a true fighting style, everything is in shadows, there's more sword play than anything, but whatever you do, do not mess with these ninjas. Smash cut to the local drug kingpin going out to meet his boss, the leader of the ninjas, out at Orlando's hottest nightclub. Why the movie takes place in Orlando and not Miami, because it's called Miami Connection, is never directly specified. So Lackey and Boss are at this nightclub that is introducing the new house band Dragon Sound. Dragon Sound is less of a band with group members, and more of a hive mind that figured out pleasing rhythms fairly quickly. It's just, throughout the movie, the band never leaves each other's side. They eat together, they live together, they all were orphans, they all do karate together. Look, I get having friends, but we all need a little not dragon sound time as well. Now as it turns out, the drug lackey's sister is dating one of the Hive's members, which just pisses off the lackey for no real good reason? When you put your sister at Central Florida University, can you really think that they aren't going to date a member of a karate rock band in the 80s? We're all adults here, we all have that phase. But things aren't all guitar solos and feathered haired groupies for Dragon Sound, as they are constantly targeted by the band they replaced, who are basically three of your dad's grumpiest drinking buddies. Just out of shape, greasy hair, shouting for no real reason, dad bod having losers. The film, for some reason, thinks these guys are real threats, but oh my god, they are just the jobbiest of jobbers. Not only do they get beat up by Dragon Sound on three separate occasions, even though they had weapons every time, they also get beat up by the club owner who fired them, who is then never seen again in the film at all. As much as I want to add they joined Lackey's gang as a plot point, it was more of a detriment than anything else. So Dragon Sound is a thorn in Lackey's side basically the entire movie. They fight after a Dragon Sound performance on the streets, they fight in a train depot, they fight on what is seemingly an abandoned construction site that the drug gang just kinda took over. And the drug gang gets their ass kicked each and every time. Like, getting beaten up by a bunch of Taekwondo black belts should be a learning experience? Specifically of learning the lesson, don't fight these Taekwondo black belts? But not for these idiots! These bad guys aren't going to go anywhere, no matter how many times they fall for the I'll get these Taekwondo black belts this time, Con. Plus, I keep calling them a drug gang, but you never really see them specifically selling or using anything. I think the only thing they sell is being menacing, and there's a very different line when it comes to judging that. So long story quick, Dragon Sound basically kills the entire drug gang. Yeah, things get brutal, we'll get to that later. This pisses off the main boss, who put the ninjas in motion- Oh wait, wait a second, wait a second. 
We have a B plot sneaking in at the very last minute. Apparently one of Dragon Sound has been looking for his father, who is some kind of military person, but he gets a second leather finding him. The group gets him a suit to get ready to meet him until they all get attacked by ninjas. Always when you have plans, am I right? The fancy suit Father Finder gets sliced open like he was convenience food, and then all of the ninjas get killed. Taekwondo black belts. What does no one understand about this? They rush the injured member to the hospital, they see his father, and everything ends on a high note like the 80s do. And that was Miami Connection. Well, that was the main plot points for Miami Connection. Mostly because there were so many pointless scenes in this movie. There's a scene where Dragon Sound goes to the beach for a day off, and nothing happens. There's a scene where the main three of Dragon Sound, I don't have to tell you guys, we all know who the main three of Dragon Sound are, are practicing Taekwondo, and nothing happens. There's a lightning quick fight scene where the director gets to do a cameo, and nothing happens. There's a scene of Lackey and Main Boss going to a biker club, complete with real bikers that were paid in beer, and nothing happens. This was a lot of padding in a bad way. Nothing happens to advance the plot, there's no character exploration, it was just the director rewarding the cast with a beach day. That was the realization I came to. Now, I've been calling Dragon Sound a band this entire piece. That statement is true, but it takes whatever coolness from the Taekwondo black belt and just kinda brushes it aside. Which, honestly, the coolness isn't that much. Speaking black belt to black belt, it's a personal journey that people will confuse with something else every single time. I just have to deal with, hey, how was wrestling tonight? I'm a kickbox, it was fine, it's always fine. Despite the fact it's an all-male band, Dragon Sound is so ballless they could open for the Wiggles. Their hit song is about friendship. Literally, friends through eternity, loyalty, honesty, we'll stick together through thick or thin. Like, you learn to play guitar. You meet some other guys with a little bit of talent. You start a band. You get booked for your first club gig. And the opening line of your first song is Friends through eternity, loyalty, honesty mm. Or imagine from the other side Some swinging dude in the 80s getting his best clothes on He hits the hottest club in Orlando Comes across a fly chick Goes, hey baby, what do you say we Friends through eternity, loyalty, honesty I'm sorry it's impossible to get a boner after hearing that music No matter what happens There are People who get into music to change the world, and those who get into music for chicks. Make sure you make your choice wisely. Finally, this is the strangest part of the whole thing. Despite there's this great level of optimism and 80s cheer, this has super, super gory moments for no real reason. People get their arms cut off, there's fake blood from basic ass punches, a ninja gets his head cut off. It comes from such a weird place. Who made that call? Okay, Kim, on the schedule for shooting today, we have the scene where the band is singing about honesty and the scene of driving to English 201. When do we get to the decapitation? 
Um, Kim, there's nothing in the script that says, when do we get to the decapitation? Like, like who directed this movie, Kano? The out of place, almost needless violence is always gonna sit weird with me. Overall, this is a fun watch, even with some weird and or questionable choices. The acting is pretty flat, but laughable in a good way. The music is cheesy and yet earwormy. It's one of those things where you could tell everyone was having a good time making the movie, mostly due to the fact that everyone seems to really like YK Kim. Having a force of positivity like that always seems to have a bigger effect that that's what we really give credit to. Another solid must-watch selection. This next movie, um, isn't hard to explain, but I'm not going to waste my time doing so. This movie feels like a placeholder for what they wanted to do, but the director said, no, yeah, we'll fix it in post. But there was no post. As much as I like martial arts and whatnot, I understand that, at most, it's a side dish or an extra spice. You cannot really base an entire experience on it, thinking everyone is going to like it. Because when you do, you end up with something like Honor and Glory. Honor and Glory falls into the action movie genre without all those unnecessary things like story, characters, or subtlety. I'm not going to go into the director or that kind of side stuff, because who cares? The main idea is that a super evil banker somehow gets a hold of a nuclear detonator? I'm assuming you need the bomb for the full experience, but I have no idea how the arms trade works. This banker is basically harassed by a nosy reporter, who apparently only reports on this dude. Like, her whole portfolio is just TMZ, but with heavier issues than just invading a person's personal space at the airport at 5am. Somehow, he either loses the money or the detonator, something to that extent. The movie never really makes it clear. It only ever shows like a bunch of moving trucks. He loses out on his deal, so he has to take revenge on this reporter the only way he knows how, by kung fu fighting. That seems to be the only rule in this universe. Absolutely everyone knows karate. Every side character, from the reporter's sister who works for the FBI, the banker's Eddie Murphy wannabe bodyguard, some random woman who tries attacking the reporter in the first five minutes, literally everyone. Hell, the only person who doesn't know karate, the reporter's father, who she has abandonment issues with, immediately gets his ass kicked and held hostage. And it's not just for the fight scenes, karate just becomes a basic greeting. Hey, I got news for you. You're going back to the US on a big mission. Hey, it's really nice to see you again. Do you want to have dinner sometime? It doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense. It's just one of the rules here. Yeah, Honor and Glory isn't the strongest martial arts movie, even though fight scenes are about 80% of the movie. Between the story falling into the background with no real climactic ending or showdown, the multitude of side characters who join up with no real reason, and an evil main villain who doesn't really do an over-the-top performance that's memorable, this is a really forgettable movie. You know, I really don't have a lot to say about it, but to be fair, it's not that much of a movie anyways. 
And finally, we get a little bit of a comeback into form with No Retreat, No Surrender from 1986. A bit of a rival to Miami Connection, although both emphasize their own separate section of the 80s. Miami Connection was all about the music. Friends through eternity, loyalty, honesty. Okay, yes, I did that on purpose. While No Retreat, No Surrender focuses on the actual martial arts. Directed by Corey Yuen, starring Kurt McKinney, Jean-Claude Van Damme, and J.W. Fales. A couple of uh, funny notes here. J.W. Fales plays the role of the breakdancing, skateboarding sidekick RJ. As it turns out, Fales lied about both of those skills so he would be cast, leading to a body double, I don't count dancing as a stunt, mind you, for those scenes. Of course, the biggest name most people would know, Jean-Claude Van Damme. This is his second credited role, who he happened to be in a bit of a rough patch at the time. Not only did he have to ask the crew to help him push his car so the engine would start, but this role accidentally made evidence against him in a 1992 lawsuit, claiming he was unsafe as a martial artist and couldn't control his kicks. In the first action sequence, he's supposed to jump off his henchman's shoulder and hit a kick to his opponent's chest, except he kept kicking him in the face, the throat, and the knee, which is a weird, strange target variation. Not only that, later in the movie, in the big climactic fight scene, he knocks an opponent out twice with a huge spin kick. I gotta assume one of those takes is in the film, so maybe a little more practice is needed on Mr. Van Damme's part. Also interestingly enough, Jong Kim, Bruce Lee's stand-in, is featured in a prominent role. You'll know it when we get to it. We open with a martial arts gym holding class. Yeah, I'm a bit of a realist, I'm not calling it a dojo. It's a gym. After class, we see a gang of business mobsters from New York coming in, threatening the owner to give up the business to him. I mean, I know dojo raids were a thing in the early days, where you would basically get some of your group, drive over to an opposing gym, then challenge whoever you were going after to a fight right then and there. Not only is this totally illegal, I would also guess the number of dojo raids that actually worked are probably somewhere in the 0% range. I mean, someone comes to your workplace or your business and threatens you with violence, you look at them like a complete goofball and tell them to get the hell out before you call the police. One phone call in this movie would be over in 10 minutes. But the owner doesn't do that, tries to fight for his pride, and then gets his legs snapped by the Russian mobster with him. This then leads onto a trail of complete wussification. The Black Belt closes up his gym, completely leaves town. Black belt martial artists, known for their complete lack of drive and being a coward. He takes the entire family to Seattle, including his son Jason, who is completely obsessed with Bruce Lee. Like, an autograph wouldn't be enough, he would want to keep the entire hand, that level of creepiness. But the kid at least trains at home, including a heavy bag, a smaller bag, and that strange wooden tool that kinda acts like a target, yet it doesn't really move and you don't really punch directly at it. It seems like a weird piece, but what do I know? I just do shadow boxing. He meets his new and possibly only friend RJ, who takes him to see Bruce Lee's grave. 
I know that's a thing people do to pay respects and stuff like that, but that's a really weird first step with your new best friend whom you've just met. Hey, you must be new in town. My name's Tim. I'm Ed. Do you know where John Denver is buried? Because I have one hell of a road trip planned for us. For a chunk of the film, Jason and RJ deal with their local bully, Scott. Scott is basically there to show what happens when you don't do karate. You get fat and you look like a doofus. And I mean insultingly fat, just shoving burgers into his face, sauce all over him, the living idea of obesity, you get the point. But here's my thing, can we dispel this notion of bully? Every form of media for martial arts makes someone on the bad guy side really fat. The easiest example coming to mind is Bulk from Power Rangers, and even just the name is insulting. But literally, my entire scholastic career, every bully was faster than me, stronger than me, bigger and yet somehow skinnier than me, all while smoking and getting more girls. What I am saying is, is that bullies deserve more respect for being a clearly superior life form. Anyways, Jason looks to get into a martial arts place down there, but where he goes has Scott the bully as a student, who then just lies about Jason badmouthing Seattle martial arts. Yes, sometimes I do judge other martial arts, but I've never gotten so specific as where it took place. So Jason, on his first day at this new gym, gets his ass kicked by the best student there and runs out. And then later, possibly the same day, at a birthday party for the potential love interest, don't worry, absolutely nothing happens there. It's not a feature in the plot, and this is the only time I'm going to mention it. He gets beat up again by the guy who ran the class with Scotty Fatty Fat Boom Boom running interference. This was another weird judgment call. Why are all black belts in movies just complete a-holes? They beat on the weak, they always force themselves on the girl that they want, it just becomes a commercial for being a douche. Black belts, because what are you going to do about it, nerd? After a double party embarrassment and a big fight with coward dad, Jason runs away to an abandoned house bringing only his Bruce Lee memorabilia. Look, kid, they're just movie posters, there's no actual technique to learn, give it up. In the most outlandish claim in this movie, the ghost of Bruce Lee comes to train some teenager in the valley, Jeet Kune Do. That is just enough weird fanfiction that they probably didn't need to get permission to use his likeness or name, because it's just ridiculous. Cue the 80s training montage, complete with special move, and all of a sudden Jason is a master. Remember those evil business types from the first Dojo raid? Welp, they happen to try it again up here in Seattle. Yet, for some reason, they decide to make it a competition? Seattle versus New York, winner takes all, in front of their super rich, super old boss. Look, I happen to know some very wealthy business owners. The last thing on their money-making agenda is take over karate schools all over the country. The day of the fight comes, and it just becomes a damn pro wrestling show. There's a face and a heel entrance, the evil manager changes the opponents at the last minutes, there's a Russian. This could have been a WWF card at the Spectrum, that's how old school this is. The Russian beats all of the Seattle team, 
kicks the referee out of the ring, literally clearing the ropes and crash landing outside. The second-rate Danielson Jason comes in and beats the Russian, and everyone celebrates as it's the 80s. And that was no retreat, no surrender. Overall, there's a little bit of fun in No Retreat, No Surrender, although I don't think it tops Miami Connection, but it's a close second. Both had good fight choreography and equal parts zaniness to their stories. Ghost summoning Bruce Lee wasn't even an option I knew I had. Now this is a weird sense to have after that previous one, but there is a little bit of logic here with only martial artists doing the fighting and not everyone on the cast and crew. Now, the sequels get a little weird and more political war story, but this tale of martial arts and fighting for pride is a decent little fight. This has been an Ouchcast Productions presentation. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at JustOuch, capital J-U-S-T, capital A-E-W-C-H. Check us out over at anchor.fm slash ouch. Leave a voice message, and maybe you'll hear it in a future episode. Don't forget, this show is also available on Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Spotify. Just search The Ouchcast. Anything else? Email us, ouch64 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time.